your strength is made perfect which gives us the liberty to be able to come boldly before the throne of grace I'm asking that you would bless the person that I'm touching 
that you would move concerning their needs, that you would work it in their feet. In the name of Jesus. And say that you need to know that we have no respect for you. We don't even like to spell your name with a capital letter. Tonight, our God be glorified. May our God be exalted and his enemies be scattered. In the name of Jesus. Lord, have your way in this place. Meet every need. Touch every longing. Open up every door. In the name of Jesus. Let witchcraft be destroyed. The powers of darkness be scattered. In Jesus' mighty name. Bless the hand I touch. Bless the person that's next to me. In the name of Jesus. And God, because we trust you, we're not going to wait on you to bless us to praise you. But we're going to praise you on credit. In the name of Jesus. Now come on, loose those hands and give God a praise. Come on, give him a praise. Hallelujah. Absolutely. 
my God, from heaven. <laughs> amen, amen. So we thank God for that. And to all of uh, the clergy who's here, pastors and leaders, just lift your hands so that I can honor you. Amen. All pastors, bless you, bless you, bless you. We honor you. Amen. And we thank God for you. Uh, to the musicians who've uh, been doing a great job all week. Amen. Yes, amen. I've got to be on the Amen. We're thankful for that. And then, of course, we want to acknowledge the elect lady. Woo! Uh, I didn't say the first lady. I said the elect lady. The wife of the bishop is the elect lady. That means she's not just a mother at home, but she's a mother at church. Yeah. And that is a qualification that only God can give. That's right. So we don't take her for granted. Uh, I, I want to acknowledge that the bishop, and uh, I must confess, I was watching him preach some time ago, and I said to myself, I, I think he studied me. <laughs> Amen. I think he studied me. In Texas, when he preached, it was years ago. Uh, by the way, I'm going to bring him to me this summer. Woo! I'm going to bring him to me this summer in July. And while he tries to give me Canada's cold, I'm going to give him Texas heat. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't have problems with demons in Texas because it's hotter than hell in Texas. And, and, and demons don't like heat, so you're going to be able to preach freely. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But he is a wonderful man and uh, a genuine individual and not one who just has the characteristics of the son, but the heart to be a son. Yes. That's right. That's right. And I think that's what makes the difference. The laws of the kingdom are backward. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you exalt yourself, you'll be a base. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Amen. So, so nothing's wrong with number two. I don't really have time, either, you know. But uh, the Bible says the first shall be last, the last shall be first. And all he's simply saying is we all going in together. That's it. Amen. I want to thank God for him tonight uh, and uh, honor God for him because he is truly a man set apart and one that I value above many. Uh, he is just a envelop of stewardship and an envelop of humility and power. So let's do this. Let's stand to our feet and let's clap our hands and let's honor God for this great leader. I don't think that's fair. Let's honor God for this great leader. Second uh, Corinthians and uh, the chapter is number four, the verses are seven through nine. But it's only an extension to Psalm 23. That's where I'm going to 
in the presence of my enemies. I want you to look at somebody and tell them I'm about to eat the best meal I've ever had. Tell somebody else I need some enemies so I can eat right. The psalm, in its expression, creates a extension for my deliverance. It creates poise and it creates comfort because it helps me to understand that God really does know his creation. I spend more time struggling with myself, more time struggling with my fetishes and my weaknesses, my inabilities and my proclivities, facing the reality of unhappiness because I can't find the strength to overcome. It's difficult because uh, there are some situations that I don't want, but I can't shake. And so I spend a lot of time trying to find peace in my mind and comfort in this world. It really becomes difficult when you backtrack psychologically and hear the cliches and the phrases of individuals who had a philosophy about life that only spoke to my spirit but didn't speak to my soul. And so now I'm searching for a way to find peace and comfort. I don't want to fight with you. I just want my situation to change. So I'm living in a world where I am trying to grasp not the philosophical word, but the logos word. I'm not good enough to make it on and with your theology. I need a word from God for myself. I really got to find that place because if I don't find that place, I will hemorrhage and, and that's dangerous. Because hemorrhaging is not bleeding from the outside. When I hemorrhage, I'm bleeding from the inside. And it's dangerous because had I bled outwardly, I could have stopped it. And somebody would have been able to see and possibly help me. But inward bleeding, hemorrhaging, is invisible to the natural eye. 
it takes a special uh, utensil, a special object, a special machine in order to be able to identify when one bleeds inwardly. And that is the point of scrutiny. It's the place where I, as an individual, have to be able to walk with God and trust God until God shows me myself. Uh, there are some things that are going on on the inside. Things that I don't want to talk about. Things that I don't want to share. Things that I don't want to open up to individuals around me because the question would be, can they handle what's really going on with me? It moves me to silence. And when I move to silence, that's not really a good place because whenever I'm silent, it means I have moved to isolation. And isolation, it's, it's really a a term used in the National Basketball Association. It's a situation now where I have put myself in a position to where I am forced to face my opponent man to man. I am in a position where I am operating without assistance, outside of assistance. So it's going to require you all of my wisdom and all of my insight, my intellectual capacities, my influence and my affluence to be able to disregard or to defend or offensively move around my opponent. It is a place where I am wrestling alone. And it's a dangerous place because in isolation, I look for assistance. I look for help, especially when I realize that I'm losing, when I realize that I'm broken. I feel God here, I feel him here. Uh, my body and my mind is here today. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult place to be because I'm fighting my opponent and I need help. But I'm afraid to cry out for help because I've got to ask myself, can I trust you with my secrets? Can I trust you with what I'm carrying, with uh, what I'm bearing? And it's, it's a critical piece here because you find yourself in hiding you, you hide, not because you want to practice hypocrisy, but you know that your friends are not really friends. They are enemies and friends all in one. They're just frenemies. And, and they're lurking in the dark, trying to find a way uh, to reduce you. They smile in your face, but they whisper behind your back. 
Oh, it's true, it's true, it's true. And, and because they are your friends, they've been privy to loose into your life and uh, they have the evidence. And so they are not really gossiping because they are telling the truth. But the only reason they knew it is because you trusted them to share. And then they turn around and use what you said against you. God, deliver me from the friends who just want my business to destroy my life. It's a place of isolation, and in isolation, I'm forced to face my opponent man to man. I have now moved from God. I have moved from God, and I'm using myself into that, my knowledge, my comprehension, my logic, my rationale, to be able to fight off the enemy, and I'm trying to do it in my own strength. I'm trying to make it work in my own ability, and that is where it gets difficult. Uh, then I look to the prophets because in isolation, my ears are open. And that can become a problem because most prophets have a tendency to know what God is saying, but they don't know what God said. Uh, let me help you. Uh, most prophets, they can tell you what God is saying, but they cannot tell you what God said because they have no relationship with the word. They just operate in a gift. They just operate in a talent. But those who are really ordained by God, they don't just know what he's saying, they know what he said. And when you're in a crisis, what God is saying is not what he uses to bring you out. It's what he said that's going to keep your mind stayed on him. I feel the ramifications. God, yeah, I know, I meant it. I will preach until the devil takes his hands off. Lift up your hands. Shout hallelujah. It is the color of the song that strengthens me because the song helps me to identify with myself. Because in reading the psalm, I'm able to relate to the individuals that had conflict. And David seems to be the senior. Oh yes, because in the book of Psalm, David didn't pray that God would bless his enemies. He asked God to whoop them, just uh, cut their heads off, destroy their villages, burn down their houses. And I said to myself, truly, this man cannot be saved. Because how could he pray like that? And then after praying like that, he would go to God and repent. Because he knew that he was praying out of anger. But then when I flipped the pages, I saw that God 
did what he asked. Don't your neighbor say neighbor? When you and God have a relationship, you got to watch what you ask God for. The best prayer comes from a person who has captured the heart of God. The worst prayer comes from a person who has captured the heart of God. Whenever God moves into covenant with an individual, he literally binds himself to the individual and he looks beyond the faults of that individual and he focuses on the needs of that individual because he's more concerned about his covenant than his judgment. I don't know if you're ready. I don't know if you can stand it. The covenant is established by God, which means now God chooses who he desires to love. And he loves that individual in an unequal capacity. Oh, yes. You see, he said, Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for God so loved. The Greek word for love there is agape and it means an unselfish love. He, God, is willing to deny himself. He's willing to make a sacrifice because he loved of us. So the love toward salvation is equal. Nobody got a little more salvation than the other. We are all saved by grace. Now grace denotes, it's charge, it denotes the incarnation of God in the flesh. The incarnation of God in the flesh is Christ. Now Jesus Christ loves all of us equally. However, there is a theological argument uh, as it relates to the love of God because God says to us what Jesus would never say. God says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And the word there for hate is it's it's mesial, and it means to love less. It's not a distaste, it's not hate, it's just that he God loved Jacob more than he loved Esau. So in the person of Christ, God loves everybody, but in his own self, he does not choose everybody. There are certain individuals that he loves more. I don't want to mess with you. I don't want to mess with you. Uh, but just a neighbor, don't get upset with me if I got a little more favor, because favor is attached to his love. And if anybody ever told you that we all have the same amount of favor, they're lying. Because favor 
isn't. It's not fair. Because God, he loved Jacob more than he loved Esau. Does he love you more? Does he love you less? I would like to believe that he loves me more than he loves all of you. I'm not saying that he doesn't love you, but what I'm saying is it might take him three days to move for you when he'll move for me in the next minute because he loves me. Can I go just a little farther? I'm going to ask you to shake the neighbor four times tonight. Don't shake it now. Just look at them and say, neighbor, the reason I'm blessed is because God loves me. Yeah. It's not that I'm in love with him. It's that he is in love with me. Because remember now, David is a man after God's own heart. That simply means that God was in love with David. And that's why when Saul was rejected, David was selected. And the prophet Samuel, who knew what God was saying, but didn't know what God said, was running around crying, saying, the people have rejected me. And the Lord said to Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me, but wipe your tears, because I found me a man that will do all of my good pleasures. It's not erotic, because ain't nothing physical with me and David. This is a love of passion and compassion, where I'm going to struggle with his will and his disposition and his because I love him enough to make him what I want him to be in spite of what he wants to be because I am torn all by myself. I feel the ramifications. Can I take it to the next level? Loving it is born out of the heart of God and God chooses who he loves and who he loves is who he uses and who he uses is who he pre-qualifies. Come here, come here Samson. You had your situation with Delilah. You got all of the goods and all of the benefits and you still fulfilled my assignment. Why? Because I loved you. Come on, Jonah. With your proclivity to alcohol, I'm going to still use you to build an ark because I love you. Come on, Gideon. You don't even have a name, but I'll give you one. By taking less than 1% of the enemies, you got to fight and build an army because I love you. Daniel, let them throw you in the den with starving lions. You'll be alright because I love you. And I will submit to you that the 
reason alcohol didn't kill you and marijuana didn't take you out and addiction didn't wipe you out and the divorce didn't destroy you is because God loves you. Hallelujah. I don't know. I don't know. I love the Lord because he first loved me. I experienced the love of God before I met the God of love. While I was a sinner, he loved me. And this is the reason I come after him. You see, David is a man after God's heart because God loved him while he was a sinner. God loved him while he was practicing contrary to the will of God. I don't have the time. I wish I did. It is God who has to challenge David's morality. He has to challenge his weakness. And he has to love him to challenge him. Whenever God challenges you, it's because he loves you. But then he requires you to have faith, to believe that he's with you. You see, you're looking at the situation. And the situation will make you feel as if you're disqualified. When God's trying to get you to look at the revelation and the revelation says it ain't you anyway I'm gonna do it because I'm God I'm gonna do it for my namesake well if that is the case quit looking at your situation and receive the revelation that no weapon formed against you shall I'm gonna holler tonight. I feel it. I feel it here. The revelation then has to be deposited into the isolation because God knows you cannot walk the devil by yourself. And the reason you can't beat the devil by yourself is because you are fighting yourself. Yes, Lord, I believe. But help thou my unbelief. I believe in you. I just don't believe in me. And so while I'm fighting the devil, he is diabolos, that one who slanders God in my mind. He reminds me that I'm not qualified. He reminds me that I am a homotheologist. I missed the mark. He reminds me that I'm not capable. And so now I'm focusing on my inability and my weakness in cognizant of the fact that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. So what I've got to learn to do in the midst of isolation is take the ball out of my hands and put it in his hand and let him play the game for me. You see, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh God, look your neighbor in the face and say, you missed the shot, but God that missed. <laughs> 
Put the ball in his hand. It is in the midst of ambiguity, the greatest place of confusion, that God uses David. He writes now 73 of the poems that are comprised in the book of Psalms. He's a shepherd boy. That means God chooses him as a child. He was not worried about his age. And you got to watch folk who will try and disrespect you because they're older than you. I wish I could talk to you. Because at 12 years old, Jesus was teaching the rabbis and educating the doctors. Can I talk to you here? You see, God doesn't measure individuals by days. He measures individuals by eons. And none of us can live an eon. He does it outside of time. So whenever God calls, an individual. He has already stopped them approved. All right. Shake your neighbor's hand for the fourth to the last time. And say, neighbor, you've been approved. And once you've been approved, that means it's got to happen. And approval is not like a pre-qualification. A pre-qualification means that you are tentatively approved. We just need a little more information. We want to make sure that things line up. And if you meet the criteria, then we'll give you an approval. Have you ever received something in the mail that said pre-qualified? And when you look at it, it asks you for a list of things that might be proof of income, uh, how long you've been on your job. You still got to go through stipulation, even though you're pre-qualified. Pre-qualification means I've got to look at your life. I've got to evaluate what you're doing in order to make a final choice. Well, God doesn't pre-qualify. He pre-approves. And when you are pre-approved, you don't need to show no income. You don't need job tenure. You just got to sign the paper and receive the card. I wish I had some help here. Look your neighbor in the face and say, I got the card in my living room. I didn't even talk to nobody. I just went on the internet and they sent me my money. I'm approved. And when you approved by God, that means it's already done. Bless the name of the Lord. Uh, should I go across the Jordan now? Or should I work a little more? If you want me to work, say work, Apostle Lord. 
Thank you for permission. I will. David now is a man of extreme ambiguity. His life is out of control. But yet God uses him to write 73 of the poems that are in the song. He's the main character of the Old Testament books. First Samuel and Second Samuel. First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. And he's mentioned in several of the books of the Bible. And nearly half of the Psalms have been attributed to King David. David is the most famous narrative in the Bible. Plus, you have David and Goliath. Despite of his flaws. David is described as a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 13 and 14, Acts 13 and 22, he was far from perfect, but his faith and his zeal made him the standard against which all Israel's future, the kings that would come, would be measured against David. He was the only one of his kind. He was in a category all by himself. Yet he struggled with disobedience and he struggled in his flesh. I gotta close it. I, I feel my, my age coming. I'll shake your neighbor's head for the third to the last time. Shake it like I gave you some money and say, neighbor, I want to be loved like that. God, he pours out his love on David in despite of his weakness and despite of all of his uh, mishaps in his own personal life. God allows him to experience the greatest of love. Not Eros, which is a romantic type love. Not Philia, which is intimate, it's authentic, it's, it's friendship. David has a friendship. He's a friend of God. And then God gives him Eratopia. And Eratopia is plaguing. He's, he's like a kid. God takes David to the playground. And he allows David to have fun with him. He teaches David that being saved ain't always being serious. David has balance and he has life. He's lubus. God is playful with David. Uh -huh. he, 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 he moves him and he moves him. It literally means he flirts with him. He makes him feel good. David, I made you in my image. You're a good looking man. David, you got it going on. Yeah, that sister that gets you in the kingdom. David, you gonna have a mind. It's Lucas. He plays with David because David is a friend of God. You see, some of y'all are saints, but you're not a friend. I wish I could talk to you here. Uh -huh. If you want God to make you a friend, lift up your hands and say, Lord, uh, give me Lucas. I want to be your friend. 
And when he becomes your friend, he's a friend that will stick closer than a brother. He allows him to experience story, which is unconditional love. It's the love of a family. Not only are you my friend, but now, David, I'm going to make you a part of the family. I'm going to pull you into the bloodline. You see, my son is going to be your root and offspring. You're not just going to be friends, but you're going to be family. I'll make you my son. Can I push it like I feel it? Lift up your hands. Shout hallelujah. I'm not just going to give you Stargate, but I'm going to give you Philotia. I'm going to give you my compassion, and I'm going to give you confidence so that you can love yourself. I want to talk to you, sisters. I want to talk to you, men. You want a woman. You, you want a man, but you don't even love yourself. You can't love nobody. Until you really love yourself. And I do love myself. But why are you still crying for a man? Because if you love yourself, you wouldn't be crying, you'd be laughing. I feel it here. He gives him a pragma, which is commitment. He says to David, I'm going to commit to you, and I'm never going to leave you, nor will I forsake you. And then he gives him agape. He denies himself in order to love David. And that's where I want it to be. Because in agape, David's got all of these issues, but God's got to deny his judgment in order order to love David. So what he does is he gives David mercy. And what mercy does is it suspends judgment. Oh God, I need a little mercy because I don't want your judgment to fall. All right, musicians, let's have a new church. Lift up your voice. Shout hallelujah. Bless the name of an all-conclusive God. It is David now that God is going to use. The first reason God is going to use David is because of David's faith in God. In 1 Samuel 17 and 47, God gave David gave God the credit for defeating Goliath. Before Goliath was hit by the stone, he told him this is what's going to happen. He says, today, I will cut off your head and I will parade around the Philistine gates and let them know that if God be for he's more in the world against me. I feel like flapping my wings. Look up your hands. Shout hallelujah. 
shout glory and then David demonstrates his trust in God in 1 Samuel 24 and 12 and 13 he spared Saul even though Saul was trying to kill him I got talking my church who asked me all the time why you let him do you like that and you still let him preach in your church you still recognize him it's because I trust my God that every night behind my back he'll deal with all of my enemies I ain't gonna kill my enemies I'ma spare my enemies because I some enemies to eat right. Shake your neighbor's hand for the second to the last time and say, neighbor, don't kill your enemies. Pray that they show up to the party when God gets ready to bless you. I'm getting ready to close. Lift up your hands. Shout hallelujah. Shout glory in Matthew 5 and 44. It talks about David's love in 1 Samuel 18 and 23. It talks about David's humility in 1 Samuel 22 and 9 to 19. It talks about David's integrity in 2 Samuel. 12 and 2. It talks about David's repentance. And in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, it talks about David's worship. So all of those characteristics define the man that God is in love with. I'm out of here. I heard David when he cried to the Lord because his enemies were on every side trying to kill him and trying to destroy him. He said, Lord, kill my enemies and take them out. The Lord said, David, I'm not going to kill him for I am your shepherd. I you will not want. I'll make you to lie down in green pastures and I'll lead you beside the still waters. Yeah! And I'll lead you in the path of righteousness for my name's sake. David said to the Lord, well, they're trying to kill me. He said, that's all right. Yeah! Don't you walk through the valley and the shadow of death. Fear no evil, for I am with you. I'm giving you a rod to protect you and a staff to keep you. He said, well, they surrounded me to eat up my flesh. He said, that's where I want them because I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'm out of here. For the last time, and say, neighbor, they're coming from the east, they're coming from the west, they're coming from the north. 
are going to show up. Come, come, just, just stand right here. They're going to show up. Come, come, just, just stand right here. And when they show up, God's going to prepare a table before you. Now, you ain't got no silverware because your enemies came with knives to kill you. God, go and give me that. That's to cut your brisket. Just say it there. They're going to come with forks. Just give me that. In essence, your enemies are going to supply your table. I wish I had some help here. And they came to kill you. But God came to let them know that in order to get to him, you got to go through me. And so while your enemies are watching, you're going to drink your best drink. You're going to eat your best meal. And he's going to make your enemies serve you. Hallelujah. Lift up your voice and say, thank God for my enemies. Thank God for the liars.